Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. the Bama Online Podcast, this one coming to you on the heels of another busy, active, big weekend for the University of Alabama Athletics Department. We're going to get into a lot of college basketball talk, given that it is, oh, the second week of March now that we are entering into, which means conference tournament action where the SEC is concerned. We'll also get into some spring football talk as well, because, well, we're just a couple of weeks away. From the start of 2021 spring football at the Capstone, and with me to do that, Charlie Potter, who does an outstanding job for us covering the Alabama Crimson Tide at BamaOnline.com. And Charlie, let's talk some Alabama men's basketball, this time on the heels of a Crimson Tide 10-point win on the road against a Georgia team playing its final home game for a handful of seniors in red and black. And I guess the common denominator for a lot of these starts for this Alabama basketball team, especially over the back half, it feels like, of SEC play has been a little bit of a stumble out of the blocks. Yeah, it was a pretty sloppy start for Alabama. I think they had, what, six turnovers by the second media timeout, so the first eight minutes of the game. And they didn't really shoot the ball very well in the first half, especially from three. And I know NATO likes to say that um, they don't live and die by the three, but they certainly struggle when they're not hitting shots. And, um, and they were able to close out the first half pretty well. And, um, you know, that carried over into the second half. I think they had a total of a 21 to 2 run. Uh, on the Bulldogs and were able to take a, a 10 point lead. And then, you know, down the stretch, it got more back and forth. And then um, they were able to hit some big time threes. I think there was three straight possessions where Josh Primo finally hit a three. You had a couple big shots from Quinterly and, and Jaden Shackelford and uh, Keon Ellis even hit a big time three there at the end. And they were able to, you know, hold out and hold on to that win and, and close out the regular season with three wins in a row. And, um, you know, Nate Oates was, you know, he was, of course, after the game, um, complimentary of the way that Georgia played and how they were more ready than Alabama. But he commended his team for the way that they finished. But they clearly have some things they want to work on and clean up before the SEC tournament. Yeah, that 59-point second half, that was, we'll see, maybe what the doctor ordered for this team. Mm-hmm. And again, Second halves of late haven't been as much of a problem. Just in the two Georgia games alone, in those two second halves of those games, Alabama scored a combined 123 points in 40 minutes of second half action. Uh, It has been the slow starts, and more so on the offensive end, you know, because you think about energy, you think about being alert and all those things early in basketball games. I tend to think more about the defensive end of the court because you can be exposed – pretty clearly on defense if you're not 
engaged, right? If you're not connected as a team, that hasn't been as much of a problem for Alabama. It's getting the ball to go in the bucket. And I think you said it, you know, when this team comes out and turns it over like it did from the outset of Saturday's game and it's not making shots, especially from behind the three-point line, you know, 11 turnovers in the first half and 10 misses from three. They get double digits in both of those stats and those columns uh, in in the first half of games. Probably not going to be uh, a pretty first half offensively, but I thought, you know, Nate talked about it after the game too. Get down 14, and then you're able to at least outscore Georgia over the remainder of the first half by eight, you know, and get that thing – you know, to a, a six-point Georgia edge. And you touched on Josh Primo. I don't think you can understate how important it was or potentially how important it might prove to be to get him going in some form or fashion. Yeah, it was 11 points, but given his struggles on offense for this extended stretch, you know, he had the three go in and out there in the first half. And when you saw that, you think that's not what this guy needs right now. But give him credit. The freshman stayed with it. He got an offensive board and a putback. That seemed to get him going a little bit. Had a couple of nice Euro step moves as the first half came to an end and moved into the second half. And then you set it to be able to go back out there uh, from distance and make a bucket uh, and knock down a three. This, you know, we'll see. You know, we'll see coming up in the SEC tournament. But you hope, right, that this is what gets this guy going again. Yeah, it'd be really big if they can get Primo playing uh, with more consistency because guys like Jaden Shackelford and John Petty, of course, are your consistent uh, leading scorers. And now Quinterly, you know, the last eight or so games, he's been scoring double figures and he scored 18 points in the second half alone uh, at Georgia. So they're getting quality minutes from those guys. But Primo is someone on the offensive end that has been in a little bit of a slump. Uh, It's, you know, looking at his stat line, he was one of five from three. It felt like he jacked up at least three more, if not more than that. Um, he just, he just couldn't, you know, find the bottom. Um, most of the afternoon, I started the, that big, uh, big three in the second half. And he's a guy too. And, and several guys are guilty of this. Just miss some bunnies near the basket, just some layups mm-hmm. and some, um, shots that would have made this game a lot closer in the first half. And it would have made that winning margin a lot, um, you know, more expansive, but, uh, to see him kind of get things rolling a little bit in the second half, um, you know, that's what they wanted to use this game as is to get rolling going into the postseason because, um, you know, they're not going to have any gimmies or facing a team like Georgia, most likely um, in the SEC tournament. So they're going to want to get things rolling on both ends of the floor because they have been playing well defensively, but offensively, they need to get more guys playing consistent minutes. And I think seeing that from Primo and, and others in the second half has to be at least a little bit encouraging. You have to sustain it. You have to have it carry over and they have a long break between Saturday and, and Friday of this week. But, um, you know, in, in the case of Nate Oates and, and that staff and that team, they, they hope that it can carry over. What do you attribute these slow starts to on the offensive <laughs> end, especially? And, uh, you know, I've got some thoughts on it. I, I don't think it's all that difficult to sort of figure out but uh, a lot of different theories obviously out there uh, when a team sort of develops a a trend so to speak of of maybe some weakness in a particular area what what do you think it is attributable to well some of them it's not every poor offensive performance hasn't come in this situation but Alabama hasn't played well in these early tips and that's not necessarily great news because 
you know, them being the one seed, they're going to be playing that first game in Nashville with those 11 a.m. Central Time tips. And so, you know, it just seems like anytime they've had a game at like 11 or noon or one, and of course the Georgia game was uh, falls into that category, it, it hasn't gone well for them. The Oklahoma game was that way. The Missouri game was that way. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's that's one area. Um, you know, it's, I think also, too, I mean, NATO's has said this plenty of times, if, if it was just clear as day i mean they would they would fix it and try to not uh do it as much i think there are other you know factors that play into it and uh maybe other theories i, I take it you have a different one so so what do you think is the, the reason for it? <laughs> no i'm with you i mean it's undeniable like the the 11 a.m tips were not good and this wasn't an 11 a.m tip but it was early-ish, but then I, I think you also said it. I don't think it's entirely attributable to early starts because you know they've had games that have started later. They had a 33-point first half against Vanderbilt at home, right? They had a 34-point first half against Mississippi State at home, uh, 37 against Auburn here recently the second time through, and maybe that's part of it too. You get second time through with some of these teams. Now, you can't say that about Oklahoma and Missouri, that you can point more to maybe the 11 a.m. tip off. But, you know, I also think it's this when you have five guys on the floor at a time that have the green light to push the basketball. I mean, push it. Everybody on the floor, not just the point guard, not just the two, not just the small forward. Everybody on the court is greenlit to push the basketball. And then the same five guys on the court, in most instances, are greenlit to shoot threes. So I think a lot of it still has to do with how Alabama plays. And I'm good with it. I'm fine with it. Trust me. Compared to some of the basketball we've been forced to watch here in the last five, six, seven, eight years around here, I'm fine with it. But there is a consequence at times. They will turn the basketball over. You know, when you don't have sort of a predominant ball handler out there, a go-to ball handler at all times, you're probably going to turn it over some. You know, you've got, forget about point guards and shooting guards handling the basketball, pushing the ball. I mean, you got Jawan Gary the other day trying to lead the break, and that kind of went wayward. You know, you had the turnover, and then immediately on the other end, Georgia hits you for a three. So this is the way Alabama plays. And when it looks like it did in the first half at LSU – or it looks like it did against Kentucky or the first time against Georgia, it is artistry. It's beautiful. But when it doesn't go so well, what you get is first halves like Georgia. And, you know, I think it also brings into focus, as you mentioned too, the second half performance of Javon Quinterly. Uh, Great. And Charlie, are you more interested at this point in who's closing games for Alabama? Because, you know, it's it's a different look than the starters for the most part, it seems like. Yeah, and I mean, that's something that Nate Oates has talked about all year long, because, of course, you know, going into this season, um, you know, you had so many new faces. Um, you add in guys like Jordan Bruner, you get Quinterly on the floor, uh, James Rojas, Juwan Gear, you have all those freshmen. So trying to mix and match and guess the, the lineup before the first game is always fun to do. I mean, we even discussed it here on the podcast, but he was very adamant to say that, you know, of course, you know, those guys get recognized. They hear their name called out in the in the gym and everything like that. But it's more important about who closes. And it has been telling. I mean, heck, you look at the Georgia game. 
Uh, NATO's called a timeout, I believe, in the first 33 seconds of that game, and Javon Quinterly was on the floor. Um, so I, I think that the way that Quinterly's been playing of late, like I said, I think it's the past you know, eight or nine games he's been scoring and averaging, you know, I guess at this point now above 14 points a game. And um, we see guys like Keon Ellis on the floor. Again, he had a big-time three at the end. I think what he brings on both ends of the court is is important to this team because he is a guy that's just willing to, to put his head down and get in there and, and get dirty. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think to see who's on the floor, you know, maybe to close out the first half and then late in game situations uh, is, is more telling. But that's also not to say, I mean, guys like Herb Jones and John Petty and, and Jaden Shackelford, they're going to play if they're not in foul trouble, you know, well over 30 minutes a game. And uh, you're going to mix and match guys like Bruner and Alex Reese and Rojas and Gary in. But, you know, Quinterly and Keon Ellis, they've been playing more and more at the end of the games. I think that says a lot about you know what these guys are bringing to the table. Keon with the big three to put Alabama up six very late in Athens and Quinterly with some big free throws down the stretch. Quinterly dropped some dimes on Saturday too. And if you can just survive with Quinterly defensively on the floor and keep him somewhere around uh one to one in terms of his assist to turnover ratio, he still turned it over five times mm-hmm. on Saturday, but he had four assists. So you, know, you can even live with that from Javon Quinterly because he's if he's gonna give you 15, 16, 18, 18, like he did on Saturday. Uh, that, that's going to take care of things uh, quite nicely. Something else with Herb, too, I guess, that might be worth touching on. He's done a better job of not fouling here of late, it seems like, to a couple games anyway, that he's been able to, to steer clear of some foul trouble. Yeah, I mean, he didn't foul out uh, in Athens. He did run into a little bit of trouble where he was off the floor. But, um, you know, he's a guy that we're used to him every time he steps in front of a guy just drawing a charge. And so uh, it is kind of weird of late to to see him get in that trouble. But, you know, he's a guy in in this game. He played 30 minutes. Uh, You know, that's that's a lot more than we'd seen in the the past few games before that. And uh, I believe he might have led the team. Well, no, I think uh, Shackelford had 32. But, um, you know, for a guy like Herb, who has been dealing with that being a bugaboo for him of late, you know, that's a that's a positive response. He had 10 points, pulled down six rebounds, had four assists. And, uh, you know, he turned the ball over, too. I think, again, you know, you see these guys, like you've mentioned, that are pushing the ball. Um, they just kind of – it just looks like there's grease on the basketball at times. But, you know, for him to, to be able to, you know, stay in the game, you know, play meaningful minutes. When Herb's on the floor, you're better off. And, um, you know, that's big for him to, to kind of shake that away because that was something that was plaguing him there for a little bit. Yeah, we talk about – the championship chin of teams, you know, can they take a punch? Can they come back from a deficit and understanding Georgia is not an NCAA tournament team and not close. Really. When you talk about the defensive end, it was still a positive to see an Alabama team that really didn't have a ton to play for big picture wise. You're still talking about seeding and some of those things, but you've already got the regular season championship wrapped up but to come out and start that second half charlie on a 15 to 2 run and really put themselves in a position of control from that point forward over the final 15 10 15 minutes herb really asserting himself and really this team as a whole it seemed like in from the outset of the start of that second half 
the emphasis was getting the ball into the paint. They were able to do it with Herb. Quinterly was really almost unguardable in that second half when Georgia tried to play man-to-man defense, had to go to zone. And so whereas they were getting to the rim more successfully, it seemed like anyway there in the second half, that opened up some things from three. And when this team goes, what was it, 8 of 10 in the second half, and even if they do turn it over 11 more times like they did in the second half, uh, they're going to be tough to beat. They are, yeah. And you just look at points in the paint. They ended up with 46. Um, I believe that was eight more than Georgia. And uh, they were assertive. And it was a, a different second half. Again, they just they missed some wide-open layups and, and shots close to the rim uh, in the first half. And they were able to finish. And a lot of that has to do with the, the way that Quinterly and, and Herb Jones kind of took over the beginning of the second half. I mean, uh, Quinterly scored all 18 of his points in the second half, but Herb was really a, a jolt there you know, coming out of halftime. And um, I, mean, I think it's just a, a situation where you go into this game and you kind of touched on it where it's it's basically meaningless. You have it locked up to where you're the number one seed. Uh, you could have a situation where you rest guys. I mean, Nate Oates revealed – his post-game press conference, we kind of knew it, uh, but Jordan Bruner, you know, he was supposed to come back, or he was ready to come back two weeks after that meniscus injury uh, at Kentucky. Then he re-injures his other knee, has to have surgery on that knee, and you can kind of tell he labors up and down the court, but he was in there. He played 15 minutes. Um, you know, he's a guy that was able to knock down a couple threes for Alabama. That's been big, but you could have rested a guy like Jordan Bruner in this game. Um, you, you could have gave, given Herb you know, some more minutes on the bench and not played him 30 minutes, but they wanted to, to fight through and to, to have that second half and to, to be able to carry that over, hopefully into the sec tournament. So, you know, hats off to them for being able to do that for the guys really uh, bouncing back and, and playing well in the second half, because it could have been a game where you just, you know, kind of throw the towel in and say, okay, whatever, this one doesn't matter. But for them to kind of rally like they did, I think says a lot about this team and it's, it's much different than the teams we've seen in the last several years at Alabama and that they are able to win these games that they go into as a, you know, sizable favorite and then just kind of crap the bed for lack of a better term. So, uh, you know, all around this, it's very underrated crap, the bed, crap, the bed's very underrated. Yeah. But I mean, that's what we've seen other teams do in Tuscaloosa. I mean, my entire time covering this team is just this game, Mm -hmm. the way you saw it play out in the first half, you're like, well, you got to start writing a a losing story. That's just kind of how it's been. But this team has been different in where they have had these, you know, kind of piss poor starts and then they bounce back and, and close out strong. So you got to kind of tip the hat to them for that. Yeah. Georgia had to go zone there for a little bit because the paint touches were coming in waves. And then what you liked from Alabama was the ball movement. Saw a couple of extra passes. Quinterly got an open three from the corner to go up eight on one of those. Uh, Georgia tried everything schematically in the second half, a little half court trap, little man to man, little zone, doesn't matter. Alabama still rolls up 59 second half points. Little shaky finish there, though, Charlie, with about 90 seconds to go. Maybe under 90 seconds to go. Alabama up four. Herb decides to throw it ahead to Shaq. Uh, you get a little bit of a, a miss there on the on the finish attempt. And uh, you're kind of in a position where you need Ellis to hit that three late. But again, uh, in a situation where you didn't really have anything to lose, that's, that's some good experience for Keon Ellis and uh, Quinterly showing that he can be trusted uh, to, to finish games on the ball and also at the free throw line. If he's going to be on the ball, 
you know, he's going to have to make some free throws and he made all six against the dogs. Yeah, that was big. I, I made sure to note that in my game story, uh, the fact that Quinterly was what six of six from the line and, and Alabama yeah. as a team was, was 13 of 20, you know, both teams really shot poorly from the free throw line. I think Georgia was 13 of 23. So, um, yeah, those, those were big. And you know, for a team that, again, it didn't shoot very well in the first half, but in the second half, you noted they were eight of 10, um, they had big time threes from, from Primo who didn't shoot well in the game. And that, that shot by, by Ellis, I mean, he was his only three of the game and he's a guy that hasn't just attempted a ton of threes this year. That's big, uh, to, to get that. And then to have Quinterly go up to the line and confidently sink those threes, um, you know, for a team that was what all we've noted throughout this entire podcast, I, I think that was huge. And, and a couple of plays to just to me that, that stood out there in that stretch because Georgia was clawing back. And uh, Alabama was able to, at that point with that LS3, I think that's where they just started to ice the game away and then the win by 10. You know, and Jawan Gary didn't make a field goal, didn't have a point in the game off the bench. But at 36-30, Georgia has that final possession after the two missed free throws by Shackelford. They could have cut it to four right there at the end of the first half. And it looks like Xavier Wheeler is going to get a bucket on the penetration Jawan Gary makes a hell of a block there just before this first half buzzer keeps that thing at 36 to 30. So there's a lot of positives to take out of this win, believe it or not. I know we've reached the point with Alabama basketball now where, as we do typically in another sport, we are very much into the assignment of style points. Ten point win. You covered. A lot of people cared about that, by the way. You covered on the road uh, against a team uh, playing its final home game there of the season not a bad thing in all in all uh in all ways of looking at it hey charlie we're going to take a quick break when we come back we'll get into some football talk on the bama online podcast more of the program right after this this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Back with more of the Bama Online podcast. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, joined by... Beat reporter Charlie Potter does an outstanding job covering the Crimson Tide for BOL. Basketball in the books now, a big one potentially. Well, if it is Kentucky, it's always big. But quarterfinal matchup in Nashville coming up on Friday morning, as Charlie talked about. 11 a.m. tip-off, it's going to be either the Kentucky Wildcats or the Mississippi State Bulldogs in that quarterfinal game for Nate Oates' team. Either way, not exactly an ideal matchup. Stylistically, it'll be different. But Alabama, a combined 4-0 against both those teams this season. So there is that. But, Charlie, we want to shift gears, get into some football talk, because right around the corner, we've got spring football, Charlie. Now, have we heard anything definitive from UA on uh, not only how this is going to be formatted, but availability for media, because I'm already getting asked about that and uh, you know, what uh, 8A is going to be ticketed. I think we know that already. What are some of the two or three things logistically that you think we need to know about spring drills coming up? 
Yeah, Alabama hasn't said much outside of you know the date for the A Day game, which is going to be Saturday, April seventeenth. And you know, Greg Byrne, um, you know, mentioned how it's going to be obviously a, a limited crowd, and to be able to uh, to keep up with that they're going to have to ticket it which is usually a free event i imagine those tickets won't be very expensive but um you know that's going to be different and uh spring practice though just in terms of the start and the the media schedule uh that hasn't been released yet Uh, i do believe they're going to start on saturday february uh, march 19th and so that's going to be uh, a couple weeks from now, and I would imagine that Nick Saban would, would talk to us via Zoom. That way, I, I, I'm not anticipating that we're going to be able to, to go up to, to Mount Moore and to wait outside the locker room or uh, the, the weight room and to, to go and view practice, but we're kind of accustomed to that now with the whole season under our belt. So it's probably going to be the same way with the the regular season and the postseason where they're going to send out video and, and photos and, and that uh, situation, and we're going to talk to – Saving in the players via Zoom, but uh, I'm just glad that we've got something to talk about because last March was pretty <laughs> rough. So I'll, I'll take it. That, anyway. that was like the day of, wasn't it? That was the day of the first practice that we, the afternoon of, until we found out that it, you know it, it, it wasn't happening at least in the in the way that we thought it was going to happen. Yeah, I mean, it was that that Friday before spring break, and there's no spring break at UA this year. Even though I'm, I'm sure some students will find creative ways to to do their own spring break, but um, I know one. Yeah, yeah I know one. That <laughs> there there you sure. go. So um, yeah, it, it was that Friday they announced that they they were going to cancel spring practice, and then at that point, you know, the players dispersed to uh, their respective um, homes for spring break, and then the off season they got you know those um, resistance bands and everything like that to, to work out on their own so that was kind of the start of what was a very unique and different off season but as we know of course you know with with david blue and dr ray alabama was able to do a good job of of organizing that and getting it together and if we know now that alabama was able to win a national championship so i think it all worked out so let's talk some position specific football with charlie potter who by the way if you haven't already i'm sure you have because it's right there on the website bamaonline.com charlie with some outstanding preview pieces here in the last few days he has posted his biggest questions for the alabama crimson tide coming up in spring practice and also some position battles of note from charlie potter here in the last day or so you want to check that out again if you haven't already right there at BOL. But I wanted to talk outside linebackers with you today, Charlie. And it's a good news, good news situation, isn't it? I mean, you did have uh, attrition in some forms, including uh, Ben Davis, the veteran, uh, entering the transfer portal. Uh, But when you look at sack, tackle for loss, and quarterback hurry production, uh, Will Anderson, Christopher Allen, not a couple of bad guys to bring back from that perspective no i mean the outside linebackers are in in a good spot just because yeah you lose ben davis you lose kevin harris uh both of those guys to the the transfer portal but both your starters are back and and chris allen and and will anderson you know they saw a majority of the snaps last year i know we saw some of ben davis late in games Uh, we saw drew sanders kind of get some uh run there early in some games late in some games but for the most part it was you know, number four, number 31 on the edge. And they're a hell of a duo. Um, you just look at the sack production alone and, you know, they combined for 13 sacks. 
sacks. And Will Anderson had that tear, I think, of four games where he had seven sacks and was leading the SEC heading into uh, SEC championship games. So, uh, you know, it's a it's a position group that loses a couple of guys, but um, you you have your starters back. You have some key depth pieces, guys like Drew Sanders, uh, King Makuda, Jerez Parks is another year older. You have some young guys that didn't get. Um, playing time last year and Quandarius Robinson and Chris Braswell, two highly recruited guys from that 2020 class. And then of course you're going to add some, some younger guys in uh, this 2021 class. But uh, I think overall, just from a, a depth perspective and, and what you have coming back from an experience standpoint, I mean, if you're Alabama, if you're South Sinceri and uh, Pete Golden, you have to, to feel pretty good about those outside linebackers. Yeah, I was trying to think about the last year you might be as excited about the linebacker level at Alabama in general as you're going to be about this group, especially if you end up adding Henry Toa Toa inside for crying out loud. How about if you go Henry Toa Toa, you go Christian Harris, Will Anderson, and Christopher Allen as your four (laughs) base linebackers. And look, that's not to discount uh, Jalen Moody at all and the potential for him or, or some other guys inside, but that's what we're talking about at the inside and outside linebacker positions. And since we're outside specific today, you know, I thought it was interesting when it all shook out Charlie in 2020, an argument could be made that the duo of Anderson and Allen together had a more impressive season than their predecessors, Anthony Jennings and Terrell Lewis, a couple of guys who were in the NFL. Now, Jennings and Lewis a little bit ahead in terms of sacks. I think it was two or three they were ahead total, 16 sacks between Jennings and Lewis in 2019. Tackles for loss, pretty close, I think. But again, when you consider the competition, right, what Alabama saw week in and week out in 2020 compared to 2019. So, uh, we asked a question here on the podcast, even of Will Anderson, a 10-game regular season. I think we put his total for sacks at five and a half. He ended up going over for 13 games. But again, in just about every measurable you can look to, uh, Will Anderson and Chris Allen not only met uh, hopes or expectations, they, they well exceeded it again because of the competition. Yeah, I mean, facing all SEC teams in the regular season, you don't get that cupcake game where you're going against a, a tackle that's about the size of a tight end. Um, it, it says a lot because that, the, the SEC offensive line play was was really good this year. And um, I, I just think with two, you had Chris Allen, who's a guy that's had uh, injury issues in the past. And the same can be said for Anthony Jennings and Terrell Lewis. But to pair him with a true freshman and for both of them to just be two of Alabama's most consistent players on that side of the ball. Um, you know, Will Anderson, I know he didn't have any sacks you know, for the first half of the season, but he was still disruptive. I mean, he was still getting guys down behind the line of scrimmage. And you could tell why he was in the starting lineup as a true freshman. Uh, but they were just they were consistent. And I, and I think that, you know, Anthony Jennings is kind of the model of consistency. But Terrell Lewis just kind of had an up and down season. So I agree that with both of these guys, um, for them to kind of run wire to wire as the, the, the dudes at Jack and Sam linebacker, 
um, it was a, maybe a little bit of a surprise just because, um, you know, we heard a lot of good things about, uh, Drew Sanders. We saw Ben Davis kind of make some noise in the preseason, but it was, again, it was Allen and Anderson and, and they were, um, consistently disruptive off the edge for Alabama. And, uh, I think that they played a, a big role in this team kind of improving as a pass rushing unit over the course of the season. Yeah, are we pretty much in the mode of thinking that even against Ohio State, we saw Drew Sanders in the first half of that game? Uh, is he clearly next man up when we start talking about or right there in that mix for the top three with Anderson and Allen? What about Makuda, Parks? And I guess the the more intriguing guys when you get to that next wave, simply because we haven't seen them, Chris Braswell, the former five-star recruit, Quandarius Robinson, uh, also redshirted in 2020. Both those guys, it seemed like, Charlie, were in need of some time with Matt Ray and Dr. Matt Ray and uh, David Blue. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing about this outside linebacker position and the uh, kind of anomaly that is Will Anderson is we just don't see mm-hmm. young guys see the field that much. And, I mean, he came in as, as a dude. I think, what, he was the number five overall player and the 24-7 sports compositor, at least from us at 24-7 sports. And he just really ascended up those rankings with the way that he was able to play. And he came in physically ready, both he and Drew Sanders. And you look at the other guys, and um, you know they're, they're both tall dudes. They're 6'3", or taller. Q Robinson's, I believe, 6'5", 220. But they're 15, um, you know, 10 pounds lighter than the other two. And those Will Anderson and Drew Sanders came in ready to play and uh, I think with Drew Sanders, you could tell that maybe it took a little bit more time to learn the defense, and he's going to benefit uh, exponentially, I think, from having 15 spring practices. But you know, he was that next guy up as the other true freshman that was on that depth chart. And so I think that, yeah, I agree that he would be uh, that number three in line. And then I, I'm really interested to see what happens beyond that because King Makuta is a guy that – you know, in talking to Anthony Jennings and Terrell Lewis at the Senior Bowl when their careers were over, um, he was a guy both of them mentioned as someone that could step up and maybe replace them. And you know, I think that we kind of thought going into um, that 2020 season, because of course we didn't have spring practices, that you know, King Makuta is a guy that could be a starter opposite of Christopher Allen. And it turned out it was a true freshman, and we didn't really see much of of King Makuta. So both he and Drez Parks. Um, you have know, been in the the program for you know, four and five years now. Um, you look at you know with another year of um, or a year of working with uh, Blue and Ray. What can Q Robinson and Chris Braswell do? Um, the, there's good depth there, but you know it, it's tough to to imagine that Drew Sanders is going to take a step back with another year in the program and having finally those spring practices to go through. And Drew Sanders, you go back to his high school career. This was a guy who did it all. Right. I mean, he was an offensive force, uh, multiple spots you know, getting him the ball and you know, on offense and, you know, and, and defensively, we, we know what he was. Uh, you know, for some of these guys, it's a great thing that they play all over the place in high school. Uh, but then it becomes more of a focal point on one particular position. I think Will Anderson, in addition to being physically advanced, uh, it showed, too, that he had pretty much been an edge defender uh, in high school in some form or fashion. So that that couldn't have hurt him, I wouldn't think, in making that jump. Just a tremendous freshman season 
for Will Anderson and give Chris Allen a lot of credit because you said it. There was was there more talk about Keem Wakuda going into this season by guys like Anthony Jennings and Trail Lewis than there was even Christopher Allen? Well, I think it was almost a foregone conclusion. They thought that that Chris I Allen would be the yeah. starter because he is a guy that when he was healthy, we saw number four in the field. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and just in talking to those guys at the senior bowl, you know, a lot of times they get really tired of talking about themselves. So talking about their teammates kind of loosens them up a little bit. And, you know, they, they mentioned several guys at that position, but, um, I, I think again, it, it was probably just, they believed that Chris Allen was going right. to be the starter. They were just kind of trying to spitball on who was going to be the guy opposite him. Yeah. And you're going to have a couple of, well, you're going to have an early enrollee in Keanu coat, a late flip during the early signing period from LSU. Really impressed by this guy's high school tape. He looks to be advanced in terms of his arsenal of pass rush moves. In addition to being, very talented in terms of his skill set. He is a guy that might be kind of like Braswell and Robinson and Christian Miller and Tim Williams. I mean, you, you touched on it earlier, why it's it's odd to see true freshmen outside linebackers do what, uh, you know, uh, what Will Anderson did and even what Drew Sanders contributed as a true freshman uh, as a reserve. But you know, we'll see on Keanu Code. I think there's a lot of reason for excitement with him. And then, by the way, you just get another five star in that mix coming up this summer when Dallas Turner rolls up on campus. So, uh, Sal Sanceri, pretty happy guy these days, Charlie. I think he is. And, you know, I, I think that both guys coming in, uh, you, you look at uh, Code, and um, I'm actually, I want to say his last name is pronounced Coot. And that's, okay. that's coming from what, you know, they're, they're, they have their headshots on the roster and then the phonetic spelling that goes into the game notes and is passed out to guys in the radio booth. I'm pretty sure that's what he said he wanted it to be pronounced as. So right. who knows? Little scoop. Uh, there you go. Potter but, scoop. <laughs> with, with that, you, they have him listed at 215 and these numbers are a little bit different than what their recruiting profiles are. But Dallas Turner is a dude. And he's uh, like Will Anderson last yeah. year physically. Yeah. And that, that comes into this situation. I'm going to be kind of posting some things about um, different kind of classifications, categories, if you will, of guys on the roster, whether it's guys stepping up into to larger roles, you know, guys that uh, could benefit from a good spring, guys that's kind of now or never for. And, you know, we've talked about King Makuta and, and Dress Parks. If they don't watch out, guys like Dallas Turner and, and Keanu Coot are going to be, you know, on their heels and maybe passing them just like a Will Anderson and a Drew Sanders did. So um, I think the competition aspect in the spring and, of course, in the summer is going to be uh, fascinating to watch. But, you know, depth is you know, with, with the way that Alabama has recruited the linebacker position the last couple of years. It's just an embarrassment of riches and guys, especially those guys coming off the edge, because um, we still haven't seen Q Robinson. And just looking at him, he's a physical specimen, too. So, yeah, I, I think that Sal Sinceri, uh, he's a guy that has to be pretty happy with the, the group he's coaching. Sal ain't quitting anytime soon. Not quitting <laughs> on that kind of heater. That's too much of a heater at his position right now. Speaking of football, how about Alabama baseball on Sunday, by the way? 21-3 to winners are the College of Charleston after getting shut out one nothing on Saturday in Game 2 of that series. Alabama wins 2 of 3 from over, over in Charleston, South Carolina. Boy, this uh, weekend pitching, even without Connor Prelip, 
the last couple of weeks, Charlie's been pretty impressive. It has, yeah, and, and that's a shame um, on Saturday because Dylan Smith had a, a hell of an outing, and he's a guy too. I mean, they know what they have in Connor Prelip, and he's a guy that's been out with a quote-unquote medical condition, but um, I think they've wanted to see other guys step up, and what they've gotten from Smith, what they've gotten these past couple weekends from Tyler Ross, and now from Antoine Jean on um, on Sunday – you got to feel pretty good if you're Brad Bohannon. Um, you know, offensively though, you know, he's, you can see in the quotes that they're putting out and what he said in these, uh, zoom calls, you know, they've wanted to see, um, you know, more production from that standpoint. I think they got it on Sunday with, with 21 hits and, you know, for them, it, it's been all about the long ball really. And it kind of goes to, you know, back to what we've been talking about with the, the basketball team, but, you know, they were able to, uh, score 17 runs that weren't, uh, as a result of a home run and, and Brad Bohannon was sure to mention that I think you know they want to use this and, and build off of it uh, you know they're going to have SEC play coming up here soon so they want to continue that trajectory but they're sitting at 10 and 2 you know they're still ranked right now we'll see if that changes after losing a game this weekend and then you know the rankings coming out uh, early this week but um, you know they they were able to to wake the bats up on Sunday. I think 13 players had a had a hit in that game. So if they can keep that up, then it'll be uh, it'll be a lot of of other games where you just you know trying to keep up with the score. Yeah, Bohannon wasn't happy apparently with the situational performing of his team offensively after that one to nothing loss on Saturday. Well, you're in a pretty good situation when you're up when you get up. Uh, as big as they did, as early as they did, ten runs in the top of the third on Sunday. That's a uh, that's a great situation. You know, all the situational stuff, moving runners over, you know, hitting the ball to the outfield, sack flies, things like that. That all goes out the window when you just straight up bomb an opponent. Twenty-one to three. Five more games coming up for Alabama this week. All of them of the non-conference variety: South Alabama, Jacksonville State, the Hatters of Stetson at the Joe next weekend for three games. And then it starts to get real, real soon, Charlie, with a road trip. I guess it's to Arkansas to get SEC play going. Alabama softball on Sunday, first loss of the season. 19-0 and to start the season. They drop a one to nothing decision to South Alabama. So Murph going to take his club into SEC play next weekend at 19-1. and Pretty good stuff all around in the athletic department these days. It has been, yeah. Um, it's a busy time of year when you look at that all sports calendar on RollTide.com, and you have to <laughs> hit the plus button for everything to drop down. Load uh, more. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's it's a busy time, and it's good though. I mean, it's again like you just talked about the the baseball team starting SEC play. I mean, it was this time last year when every everything shut down. To so so to see all these. Teams, oh yeah having great success and, um, you know, being able to, to play and again, to see this calendar as loaded as it is, it's, it's nothing but, you know, a positive thing. And it's, it's probably a bad word to use these, these days, but, um, it's a good thing to see all of them able to, to play and to, for the most part, have success. Good stuff. No doubt about it. And always great stuff with Charlie Potter for us there at BamaOnline.com. If you haven't already, how about a subscription to the Bama online podcast? It's free. Just a couple clicks, you'll be a part of the uh, podcast downloads that we do. They'll go straight to your smartphone, your mobile device, however you consume podcasts, wherever you consume podcasts. 
Subscribe to the Bama Online Podcast. A rating and a review would be greatly appreciated as well. Always a good time with Charlie Potter here on the pod. Thanks a lot, Charlie. No problem, man. It's always good to catch up. For Charlie Potter, Travis Ryder, thanking you once again for joining us here on the Bama Online Podcast. And, of course, right there at Bama Online, come hang out with us on the roundtable, the premium message board of choice for Crimson Tide fans everywhere. Until next time, so long, everybody. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.